Chapter twenty eight, part one of Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. The Cities of the Great Mogul, Part One. Monday, January twenty fifth. Agra is essentially the city of Akbar, the great mogul. Founded and created by him in 1506, it had no previously known history. Here he established his metropolis, his palace within the fort. One looks forward to seeing some of the splendor with which we have always learnt to associate the name of the greatest of ancient emperors, save only Alexander the Great. Nor ought one to be disappointed. The fort is a superb structure, recalling the days of barbarous warfare in the substantiality of its walls it is entirely built of red granite not sandstone as it first appears for that would be too easy and crumbling a substance for such massive walls and ramparts the entrance through the delhi gate is very imposing the hill leads up to the gateway flanked by two towers and guarded by portcullis and drawbridge and over all floats a tiny union jack the gates in themselves are curious being studded with nails and bits of old iron under the dome of the entrance are the sepoys on duty who stand at attention as we pass amongst all this massiveness the details are not overlooked and there are some very delicately carved niches and windows filled with fretwork to be seen high up in this dome a glissade sunk between high walls leads to yet another gateway formed by two octagonal towers which allow of two domes under the entrance and then we find ourselves in a barren waste the moti muhid the pearl mosque with its three bulbous domes of purest marble truly appears in the distance like pearls of great price set in the red walls in common with many of these buildings it stands on a large platform raised high above the road and ascended to by flights of steps it suggests the beautiful idea of the going up from the street and leaving its cares behind to go into a pure atmosphere for prayer as the gates are thrown open a sea of marble against the cloudless blue sky meets the eye such is the first impression and then by degrees we turn our attention to the small courtyard paved with marble to the marble cloisters which close it in on both sides and lastly to the pearl itself with its gem-like towerets alternating with the three domes it is of the purest saracenic architecture though it has the simplicity of doric art there is a vista of horseshoe arches one two three four we see receding successively with the same repeated in perspective by the rows of pillars these pillars are formed of four single blocks of marble one block to each of the sides the inscription in persian over the arches tells us it was built by shah jahan in 1656 and the intense purity of the marble after two centuries have thus passed without crack or weather stain seems marvelous under the central dome you look up to a ceiling covered with a raised device of triangles laid crossways a decoration identified with all mosques 
each of the four pillars with its dome forms a perfect little mosque within the larger one the marble floor is covered with squares just the size of the mohammedan prayer carpet and 570 can kneel side by side at the same time the three apart in the qibla or central niche are for the mullah with one for the king and vizier or prime minister on either hand there is a beautiful carved marble screen at one end behind which the begum and the women of the zinana stood when attending prayer the floriated design of this screen is carved out of marble quite two inches thick someone has said it is a sanctuary so pure and stainless revealing so exalted a spirit of worship that one feels humbled as a christian to think that our noble religion has never inspired its architects to surpass this temple to god and mohammed and then we pass on to the palace of which the pearl mosque is the fitting sanctuary akbar the great mogul the greatest of barbarian kings built for himself a palace worthy of his great renown quarries of marble were used in its construction and tons of precious stones agate porphyry and carnelian were thought not too costly for the inlaying and mosaic of the apartments used by the emperor it was built within the fort which thus enclosed the little world gathered about akbar the great passing along we see the old gateway which led to the chauk or bazaar reserved for the emperor's own use and then one enters the carousel or tilt yard here stands the diwan e am or audience hall it is an open loggia supported on marble pillars and the decoration of red and gold is still vivid the slab of marble in the center is where akbar sat in judgment and behind in the wall there is an alcove deep enough to form a room where the court sat in waiting for their master this room is exquisitely inlaid with flowers in precious stones and the recesses or pigeonholes in the wall were used for burning incense and sweet scented woods this leads us into the interior or private courts of the palace and we find ourselves in a maze of these those beautiful marble trellises seem to have been let into every window or form the grating over every doorway and the embroidery in precious stones on the marble amazes us with its costly magnificence quiet courts still gardens abound all is harmonious and preserved left just as it was three hundred years ago the rooms are empty it is true but one hardly notices it for these eastern palaces are always cold and void a few carpet mats strewn on the marble floor some looking-glasses and chandeliers are all the furnishings you look to find in them the palace is washed by the waters of the sacred jumna on one side and the windows and loggias look down on the river while frequently we came upon water gates leading down underground passages to give access for bathing in the stream apart from all the beauty of the palace it is most precious to us as a living record of the domestic life of those times in the zenana we see the baths on which the greatest care has been lavished the coal bath being in the basin of the open court with the hot bath in the covered recesses here is the mosque part for the ladies of the zenana with the court below where a bazaar was kept also for their separate use 
we see the walled entrance to the passage which is supposed to lead underground to the taj it was through here the unfaithful begums disappeared to be seen no more we can trace it all so distinctly that we can repeople the harem with its dusky beauties then we come to the inner court the diwan e kaz or hall of select or private audience on a platform open to the river there are two thrones one of black marble and the other of white it is on the black tak or throne that akbar sat in state when the marathas took agra and the foreign rajah seated himself on the throne it cracked so runs the legend from end to end and blood gushed out when lord ellenborough as governor-general seated himself on it blood again came forth and two dark stains with the crack attest these truths to all good mohammedans on the white throne opposite tradition says that the king's jester seated himself and burlesqued his royal master below this we look down into the arena where the wild beast fights took place the king viewing them from the platform above the emperor's bedroom has a fresco round the ceiling of great beauty on a gold background are inlaid sprays of flowers in precious stones a portion of one corner was restored for the visit of the prince of wales but the cost of five thousand rupees was too heavy for it to be continued near the dining hall are the famous somnath gates captured by lord ellenborough in the afghan campaign and which gave rise to a well-known controversy we saw in them the three metal bosses supposed to have been taken from mahmoud's shield the kasmal or belvedere overhanging the jumna is a little gem with its delicate rows of cusp arches and the niches and groinings of its walls it is open on three sides and commands a splendid view over the river with the snowy domes of the taj in the distance it was here that the emperor sat in the rainy season then we go down to the little court paved in squares of black and white marble called the pachis or backgammon and chessboard there were no pieces used for this colossal board but akbar's wives trotted about at his bidding from square to square thus performing each move above this there is the lovely jasmine tower or the boudoir of the chief sultana most exquisitely inlaid with turquoise and carnelian we discovered near here a charming little mosque hidden up some steps called the children's mosque and where the children were taken separately to pray it was in the anguri bagh that the british officers and their families were confined during that terrible summer of eighteen fifty seven and here mr russell colvin the lieutenant governor died worn out with anxiety and was buried in the marble tomb we saw just now opposite the audience hall we then descended to a garden where in a cool grotto we found the shish mahal or the palace of glass it is an oriental bath and the decoration is very eccentric and fantastic it consists of hundreds of thousands of tiny mirrors covering the walls and ceiling on entering it is like being in a silver cave the shunar stone of which it is made is covered with filigree and the looking-glasses arranged in rows and patterns produce a wonderful effect we lighted a match in a dark corner and the effect was bewilderingly dazzling the gleam of light being reflected and flashed back in our faces a hundred times 
the marble baths all round are much carved but the most beautiful sight of all must have been the bath where the water from the jumna fell over some recesses lined with looking-glass which gave back in radiated colors the reflection of the tiny waterfall about here we see some entrances to underground passages where it is said during the midday heat the wives and concubines of the king disported themselves in the original garb of eve before their royal master causing the corridors to resound again with their merry shouts of laughter the jahangir mahal or palace of jahangir akbar's son adjoins the palace the red courts particularly that called the begum's court with their massive pillars supported by hindu brackets and carvings of birds and flowers looked coarse and heavy after the chaste beauties we have just been seeing as we see so often repeated in history and in our own times the great palace which akbar founded as the abode of his dynasty was destined to be inhabited but for a very short time shahangir his son and successor lived and died in northern latitudes in shah jahan his son began the palace at delhi the race lay under a cloud for the latter emperor was dethroned by his son Aurangzebi, and under him the fort became merely a citadel and the residence of a mogul governor it changed hands during the maratha war several times and was finally held by general lake after the defeat of the maratha power at delhi to the founder of the short but brilliant mogul dynasty was it given first to call into existence a nationality among the people on ascending the throne at the age of fifteen akbar by raising the hindus and refusing to favor the mussulmans welded the people into one nation his latitude in religious matters is shown by the hindu god and goddesses at the futapur sikri the windsor of agra as it has been called there is even here a palace called the palace of the christian woman it is to akbar that we owe the most deeply interesting city of india and to his successors the second that is delhi the juma muhid or cathedral mosque stands opposite and slightly turned eastwards away from the fort it is the second largest mosque in india but though of vaster proportions it can claim no preeminence to beauty it stands on the usual platform and the inside is inlaid with black and red marble the inscription over the central arch tells us that it was built by shah jahan in sixteen fifty three in honor of the princess juhanara whose tomb we shall see later on at delhi however the coloring of the three domes is highly peculiar and remarkable they are of deep red and the white lines meeting up and down them at right angles form a zigzag and resemble from a distance the stripes of a zebra in the afternoon we drove through a bit of the native quarter to reach the pontoon bridge and crossing over it came to the tomb of itmud ud dala or Gias beg Gias beg was the grandfather of the beautiful muntaz of the taj and vizier to the emperor jahangir who honored him after death by this mausoleum he was a poet also and it is told how when the emperor visited him on his deathbed and he was asked if he recognized his royal master the minister replied by a quotation from a persian poet even if the mother hindman happened to be present now he himself would surely know thee by the splendor of thy brow
The mausoleum is a little gem set in a green garden and overawed by four red gateways, quite out of proportion and keeping with it. The front presents the appearance of carved ivory, so delicate is the lacework of the marble tracery. Like the other buildings of Agra, the outside and inside are embroidered with stones, but these are not so precious, being chiefly plum pudding or agate stones. The design and finish of the work are, however, most remarkable. There is a slender vase in blue and green with serpent handles, a basin in blue and white, resembling the old willow pattern plate, a cup with a spray of flowers, or vase with an outspread peacock's tail. The ceilings, though sadly weather-worn, still show what a splendid and gorgeous mass of coloring and variegated patterns they were. The mausoleum is divided into a succession of courts, opening one out of the other, and each is the death chamber of one or more. Following the melancholy circle of the building, we see the narrow marble sarcophagi of brothers, sisters, a whole family, descending even to the second generation, who find their tombs within this narrow circle. It is at the top on the marble shabutra or platform that we find the tomb of itmud uddala himself lying under the canopy of marble and surrounded by the marble trellis screens these mohammedan tombs always indicate the sex of the person beneath by a very small raised slab some six inches long by two wide for the man whilst that for the woman is the same with the addition of a mitre-like head we went home after this, for we were dreadfully tired, and I especially, almost knocked up by another slight attack of fever, brought on last night in the train by a selfish fellow passenger, who would keep the window on his side of the carriage open. End of section 36